call it a measure of the market. This 116-year-old home, which at one point had squatters, nabbed 11 offers in just 12 days. It sold for more than 50% above the listing price. And because of safety concerns, not a single person ever stepped foot inside. Hello everyone, my name is Osiris Estrada and this is Trazel, the How to Sell Your Home podcast. Welcome back all you smart, shrewd, and intelligent homeowners who refuse to get taken advantage of in the home selling process. This is episode number two and it's titled The Closing Costs You Need to Know When Selling Your Home. So you just listened to a news clip about a man who decided to sell his house even though it was not safe for anyone to even walk into. Now this building is a prime example of what's going on not just all over town, but everywhere in the Puget Sound area. So here's a house. People aren't even allowed to walk inside of it. If you watch the news clip, there's sheetrock missing and the copper has obviously been stripped and sold off. There's graffiti everywhere. And to make matters worse, there's squatters living in there, or at least there used to be at some point. Finally, the owner decides that, hey, you know, it's time to get rid of it. Time to just sell it off and make whatever money he can from it. So he puts it on the market and decides to list it at just a little bit under $300,000. He listed at $297,000, which for the area isn't too unreasonable. I mean, other houses around there were going for more, but they weren't in the same shape that this house was in, or nowhere near it, actually. Someone would probably have to come in and tear it down, build a whole new house where it used to stand. Well, here's the thing. It ends up selling for over $420,000. I mean, that's over $100,000 more than what it was listed at. I mean, if that doesn't tell you the state of the market that we're in right now, then nothing will, you know? You know, it's funny. I don't know if I didn't pay attention when I was in high school or when I was growing up, but it we didn't seem to have that kind of movement into the Seattle area, if I remember correctly. I remember I used to tell people that they should push that narrative that it's way too rainy in Seattle and no one should ever move here. That way we would always have our little piece of paradise here. But unfortunately, I think the jig's up. Of course, I think Amazon has more to do with why people are moving here more than just that they figured out that, sure, it rains all the time, but it's just misty rain. Nobody even notices it anymore. I mean, talk to the locals. Nobody here owns an umbrella. There's no need to. You're just going to get a little wet. A hoodie will be just fine. So where are all these people coming from? So there was an article recently in the Seattle PI that just came out. Let me read a passage for you here. Findings from Austin, Texas-based storage technology company Sparefoot found that the majority of new Seattleites are coming from California, but not necessarily from the Bay Area, as many assume. The largest influx of new residents is coming from Los Angeles County, followed by Maricopa County in Phoenix, Arizona, San Diego County, Monoma County in Oregon, which is where Portland's at, and Cook County in Illinois, which is where Chicago's at. Data was collected. Data were collected by the U.S. Census Bureau for the 2009-2013 America Community Survey. The article doesn't really go in depth about the reasons as to why everyone is moving here, but I think it's safe to assume that work and opportunity are the number one driving forces. One of the things that's really interesting about the Seattle market is that unlike cities like Denver and even San Francisco, there are still some affordable housing to be had within a reasonable distance from downtown. It seems that the majority of people who are willing to pay top dollar for their homes are wanting to live as close as possible to the main downtown area. 
This makes for a huge spike in hold prices for anything that's even remotely close to the city center. Here's what the Seattle Times had to say about it from an article they put out a couple days ago. Quote, What's missing is enough transit, especially convenient, reliable rail transit, to move people from affordable homes and apartments to employment centers. Light rail and the Sounder commuter rail are a beginning, but not enough. Seattle has a way to go to catch up with metros such as Denver and Salt Lake City, even Portland, and needs to get moving. Now, admittedly, not just the city, but the county and state have done their best to speed up production of the light rail system. It seems like just about everywhere the data completions are being pushed up, so we gotta give them at least a little bit of credit for doing the best they can for all this influx of people coming in. I'll make sure to keep an eye out for any updates and keep you guys informed. Just make sure to subscribe to the podcast to always stay up to date. Also, one quick note on that. At the end of the show, I always have a call to action where I give out my email address and I ask people to send in any questions they may have. If you have any questions regarding the market and what areas of the market or maybe like what cities, what county, whatever you're from, what you want to know about it, any question of the sort, shoot me an email. I'll look into it and whatever it is that people are interested in, then that's what I'll be talking about more in depth in future episodes after that. Now, before we get started on the question and answer portion of this show, I want to thank everyone who's listening for taking the time to tune in. I really do appreciate it. Also, I need to put out a legal disclaimer. Before taking any action in any of your real estate transactions, please contact a real estate attorney or your own real estate agent. This information I give out here is meant more in generalities and not meant for any specific usage in any real estate transaction. So again, please, I advise you to hire either a real estate attorney or a real estate agent before proceeding in any home selling or home buying transaction. All right. Well, I'm really excited about this second episode and I'm still trying to figure things out, but I'm starting to get the hang of it at least a little bit. I actually wrote out my entire day for today last night and woke up at just a little after 5 a.m. just to get going on this episode and hopefully finish up today. Man, I haven't woken up at 5 since I left construction. It feels good. I get so much done, but man, do you feel tired in the morning. Anyways, let's get things going. So our first question has to deal with what are you supposed to leave and what are you supposed to take after you sell your house? As a seller, what am I supposed to leave versus take? I am leaving all the appliances per the contract, but do I leave or take the following? Current panels. Landscape lights. Do I leave these and the transformers, which are not plugged in but not secured? Paint. Do I need to dispose of it or just leave for them to use for touch-ups? Shower curtain rods. Do I dispose or leave? Picture hanging hooks in wall and paint blemishes. Do I leave them or remove and touch up paint or leave as is? So here's the short answer. If you're looking for a general rule of thumb, just remember that anything bolted down stays and things that you can carry out can't go unless stated otherwise in the contract. However, it's not always so black and white. Here's, here's what you need to do. Before placing your house on the market, go around and see if there's something that is attached to the house that you absolutely must keep. Like, for example, an heirloom chandelier or a really expensive set of curtain rods that your Aunt Peggy bought you from her walkabout trip in Australia. So write those things down 
and make sure that your realtor writes in an addendum to the contract that specifically states that those items will not be part of the sale. It should be pretty easy for them to do, so just make sure you bring it up to them. So then when the buyer submit an offer, they have to sign off on the fact that those items are not for sale. Of course, they're also allowed to negotiate that either for those items or for the prices to be lowered. So it's up to you and your realtor to stick to your guns on price and what you want out of the sale. Now, when it comes to paint, I would encourage you to leave it. It's going to help out the new homeowner touch up around the house. So there's no real reason for you to dispose of it or take it with you. Chances are your new house are a completely different color anyway. Also, don't worry about the small paint blemishes. That can be done by the new homeowner. Oftentimes, they repaint the house entirely, so there's no need to waste your time on that. Now, those landscape slides were a little trickier to answer. I had to do a little digging around to find the answer, but here's what the Washington Real Estate textbook says. Quote, as a general rule book, anytime a person permanently attaches to the land becomes a part of the real estate. A permanent attachment occurs when the item is annexed to the land by roots, such as trees and shrubs, embedded in the earth like sewer pipes and septic tanks, permanently resting on the land like certain types of building, buildings, and or attached by other enduring methods such as cement, plaster, nails, bolts, or screws. It isn't necessary for an item to be physically attached to the real property in order to be considered a fixture. Often, there is physical annexation without actual attachment. So based on this description, I would say that the landscape lights stay unless otherwise stated in the, in the agreement. At this point, if they've been there for any real certain amount of time, they've become a part of the curb appeal. So basically, they're part of the house. Current shower rod. Now, if you don't want to take it with you, I would say just go ahead and leave it. It will help out the new homeowner when they move in. Nine times out of 10, they're going to buy their own, but chances are they won't have one the very first night. So. It's going to relieve a little bit of stress when they walk in the bathroom and realize that they don't they can't take a shower until they run to the store and buy a shower curtain so i would just go ahead and leave it it's a nice thing to do and finally as far as the curtains go those do stay unless stated otherwise what i like to do and not every agent does this but maybe maybe some of them do something similar i don't know is that i actually have a sheet of paper where i go through and i walk around the house and anything that would even be in question about whether it should stay or it should go I talk to the homeowner about it and make sure that I know their desires right from the get-go. And then I make sure I have it in writing as well. This really helps alleviate a lot of the headaches and questions down the road. The next question is all about closing costs. What exactly are closing costs? Quote, I'm thinking about selling my shoreline house and I'm concerned about all of the closing costs. What are they and how much should I plan on saving? Okay, so let's start off at the top. What are closing costs? Closing costs are all the extra fees that are to be paid out at the time of closing. So basically title insurance, any unpaid taxes, any unpaid utilities, transfer taxes, and so on. Let's go through them one by one. The first thing you need to do is hire a title company to do what is called run your title. Usually your real estate agent is gonna have a preferred title company that he or she likes to work with, but you're free to choose whoever you'd like. Basically what the title company is doing is they are checking to make sure that there are no liens on the property 
and that the property does in fact belong to you and that you're allowed to sell it. This is going to run you about $32. The next thing you need to think about is the excise tax, which is also known as the transfer tax. Now remember, that's not the appraisal cost, that's the price that's actually agreed upon on the contract. You also have to get title insurance, which is going to cost you a couple hundred bucks. Also, the title company has to get paid, and that cost is going to be split down the middle between the seller and the buyers, and you're not allowed to ne negotiate that. Expect that to also be a few hundred dollars. That cost is split right down the middle between the sellers and the buyers, and you're not allowed to negotiate that because that way you know that the escrow company or the title company is completely neutral on the buyer and the seller since they're both both paying the same fee. Expect for that to also be a few hundred dollars. Now aside from those set charges, the other things you need to consider are unpaid utilities, any unpaid taxes that you may have right now, your real estate agent fees, whatever it is that you negotiated that to, and your loan payoff amount. So whatever it is that you still owe on the house that you're currently selling. Also remember to set money aside for any repairs that the buyer might request after an inspection is done on the house. Now there's no real way for me to tell you exactly how much you're going to be paying in closing costs. Every situation is unique and the best way to find out the exact number is when you actually contact the title company. You can go back and forth and find out exactly how much it is that you're going to owe. Also it's important to remember that not all of these expenses are going to come out of your pocket. They're actually going to be taken off of the buyer's loan which means that you'll just get a smaller sum of money when it's all said and done rather than you having to fork over all the closing costs before the house could be sold. A good rule of thumb that I, I always use is what I call a 3% rule. So 3% is going to go to the seller's agent. This is 3% of the sale of the house. 3% is going to go to the seller's agent. 3% is going to go to the buyer's agent. And 3% is going to go to the closing, to the closing costs. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the show. Before you take off, I want to ask you a huge favor. If you have a real estate related question you want answered, email me at osiris at tracel.com. That's O-S-I-R-I-S at tracel.com. T-R-A-Z-U-L dot com. You'll have a chance to have your question answered right here on the show. I personally read and respond to every single email that comes through. I want you, the audience, to shape the narrative of this show. Whatever it is that you're struggling with, I want to help. Thank you so much in advance for that. It really helps out a lot. Once again, my name is Osiris Estrada, and this is Trazel, the How to Sell Your Home podcast, where every show we talk about local real estate and how to sell your home. I'm a real estate agent in the Puget Sound area working with Fathom Realty. If you're thinking about selling your home and want to hire me, feel free to call or text me at 425-280-1880 or email me at osiris at trazel.com. That's O-S-I-R-I-S at trazel.com. Thank you once again from the bottom of my heart for being here. I really do appreciate it. Until next time, signing out. <laughs>